please turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to focus our attention on this one particular verse this morning, Philippians 4.13. And if you're visiting here this morning, you might be thinking that sounds a little bit unusual, and it is. It's not uh, our usual way of doing things. Normally we take larger passages each Sunday and we gradually work our way week by week through a whole book of the Bible, but we have been devoting some time over the last few months to picking out a single verse each week and digging deep into its riches together. And this morning we're going to do that with Philippians 4.13. The title I've given to this morning's message is The Secret of Contentment. The Secret of Contentment. And um, check in. No, it's not, it's not quite 11 o'clock in the morning yet, and yet I wonder how many of us have already experienced some measure of discontentment today. Uh, let me give you some scenarios, and you, can, uh, you don't have to put your hand up, but you can, you can choose which one of these might have been you. Perhaps you woke up this morning complaining that you hadn't had a good night's sleep. Perhaps you opened the curtains and you looked out and you lamented this is not the right weather for a picnic. Perhaps when you went down for breakfast, you muttered words of disbelief that your favorite cereal had run out. This is really like a window into my life. But <laughs> Then perhaps was when you remembered that you also had to make a picnic lunch and you audibly groaned at the injustice of having to make a packed lunch on a Sunday. Then just maybe, having done all that, you, you sat down hoping for five minutes of quiet over your tea or coffee and suddenly arguments and loud voices erupted all around you. And maybe you, with an even louder voice than everybody else's, told them in no uncertain terms that you were not in the mood to be messed with today. And then, finally, perhaps, you arrived at church, supposedly a place of peace and tranquility, only to find that you had been seated too near to the front, or too near to the back, or too near to the door, or too far from the door, and everything is ruined. Or maybe the discontentment that you experienced this morning is connected with something far less trivial and far more serious. Maybe you wake up most mornings struggling with chronic pain. Maybe most nights you go to sleep weighed down with feelings of loneliness. And maybe you live out most days battling with an always there grief over the loss of a loved one. I don't know what all of your particular circumstances are this morning that might tempt you to discontentment, but I do know that we all battle with discontentment on a daily basis, and I do know that our real everyday trials and troubles, be they big or small, can often leave us feeling like contentment is just too far out of our reach. One Puritan pastor named Jeremiah Burroughs once wrote uh, a very realistically titled book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And I say it's realistically titled because I think for many of us, contentment can feel like a very rare jewel. A jewel that we feel is so rare that it's beyond our grasp and beyond our capability to find it, especially in our present life circumstances. And, and I want you to know, I speak to you this morning as someone who struggles with all kinds of discontentment. 
I don't want to be discontent, especially in the light of the things I know we're going to be seeing here in Philippians 4, but my frequent grumbling, my impatience and unkind speech, my online shopping habits and my social media reading habits, even my over-familiarity with the biscuit tin late at night, all of these reveal many deep roots of discontentment in my heart. So I'm keenly aware this morning that I need what Paul has to teach us here just as much as anybody. And I've already been praying this week that the Holy Spirit would deeply minister to our hearts and not just teach us, but give us greater contentment through his word this morning. What also doesn't help us, of course, is that we don't live in a vacuum. We live in a world and a society that is deeply discontent. Contentment is, I think, in essence, the very opposite of covetousness. It's the very opposite of always wanting what we don't have or always wanting more of what we do have. And we live in this incredibly covetous culture, don't we? Where people spend their whole lives fixated on wanting more. More money, more entertainment, more holidays, more cars, more clothes, more gadgets, more luxury, more free time, more me time, more ease. And we can find ourselves, I think, so easily caught up and carried along by just this universal feeling of discontentment with what we have. Caught up in this endless, exhausting rush to keep reaching for more and more. It's a bit like we've been sucked into the um, raging rapids of a river. And we don't seem to be able to stop ourselves or even take hold of something in this Uh, to to slow us down, to slow down our ever-growing desires for more. So there we are, in this river of discontentment, flying downstream, and then all of a sudden, swimming calmly and peacefully against the current and upstream, in comes the Apostle Paul, saying in Philippians 4, verse 11 and 12, I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Isn't that a breath of fresh air? Paul has learned in whatever situation he is to be content. He's not ruled by what he doesn't have. He's not driven by a desire for more and more. He has learned the secret of contentment. And better still, he wants to share that secret with the Philippians and with all who are willing to listen to him. And he tells us the secret in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so it's this verse, this secret that we're going to focus our attention on this morning. We're going to uncover the secret of Christian contentment. But just before we do that, it's really important that we understand what Paul means here by all things. Because this verse, I think, is one of those most well-known and sadly most misunderstood verses in the Bible. Here is what many people, taking this verse sort of in isolation, think that Paul is saying that you and I can do anything and everything we set our minds to through Jesus who strengthens us. That we can achieve every single one of our hopes and dreams so long as we have Jesus. 
And so sometimes you even find uh, athletes and sports people, don't you, uh, emblazoning this verse on their outfit or tattooing it on their bodies or painting it on their faces to give them the confidence and the promise that they need to win the game. And often they're well-intentioned. I'm not questioning that. But they are sadly uninformed because they've not considered the context in which Paul is writing this. Paul is writing to the Philippians from his prison cell. He is chained to a Roman guard day and night because of his preaching about Jesus. He is utterly dependent on the charity of his friends. He has nothing else to keep him fed and alive. And he is effectively on death row, not knowing if execution awaits him. Now, if Paul could do all things in the way that lots of people like to interpret this verse, then surely in the power of Jesus, he could burst out of his chains and knock out his guard with a single karate chop and sprint out of the prison like an Olympic athlete. But that is not what all things means. What Paul is talking about here is all these things that he's just been mentioning. Or as uh, the NIV puts it, I can do all this. He's referring to what he's just been describing a few verses earlier. His ability to be content in every situation. Because you see, Paul has discovered that Christian contentment doesn't lie in our circumstances at all. Just let that sink in for a moment. Christian contentment does not depend on our circumstances at all, be they good or bad. Our contentment will not increase when we get more stuff. And in fact, it also won't increase when we minimize kind of Marie Kondo, is that her name? Marie Kondo style and get rid of a bunch of stuff. That won't really affect our contentment. Christian contentment doesn't depend on our age, on our careers, on our health, on our relationships, It doesn't depend on the season or the weather or our abilities or our salaries or our homes or our cars or on any worldly treasure. That is the beginning of what Paul has learned and discovered. So where then does true contentment lie? What is the secret to Christian contentment? I can be content in all these things, says Paul, through him who strengthens me. The secret of Paul's contentment is Jesus and the strength that he provides. Christian contentment then is found in our relationship to Christ. And it's found in him in at least three ways or or for three reasons according to this verse, especially as we read it in the wider context of Philippians. Christian contentment flows from our union with him our union with Christ. It flows from our communion with him and finally from his promise to strengthen us. So for the remainder of our time, those are our three headings that we're going to explore this verse under. Christian contentment is found in remembering our union with Christ, in pursuing communion with Christ and in trusting Christ's promise to strengthen us. First of all then, Christian contentment is found in remembering our union with Christ. Now, you've read the verse, you might already be wondering, where does Paul mention union with Christ in verse 13? Well, not only has union with Christ been a 
prominent and repeated theme throughout this letter. This verse coming as it does at the end of the letter, and so it's full of, um, loaded with significance from all that Paul has already written, but commentators agree that it's also at the heart of what Paul says here in verse 13 when he writes through him, right there in the middle of the verse. Some translations even translate it in him because it's the same Greek word behind both through and in. What, is, what Paul is pointing the Philippians to here then as he begins to explain this secret of contentment is the reality of his union with Christ. Now, please don't sit there worrying, thinking to yourself, I'm not, I don't even know, what is union with Christ? What does that even mean? It means, in simple terms, that when someone becomes a Christian, they don't just receive like an impersonal certificate from God, a certificate of pardon, and maybe an impersonal aid package from heaven to kit you out for the Christian life and send you on your way. No, when someone becomes a Christian, they're united with Christ himself. They are in that moment actually brought into union with him, like a branch being grafted into a vine, or like a bride being brought into a marriage with her groom, such that you and I can say, from the very first moment we believe and are saved, Christ is now mine, and I am his. By God's grace, my life is now bound up entirely with him, I've died with him, I've been buried with him, raised with him, and seated with him in the heavenly places. We can say, in Christ, I am justified, glorified, sanctified, made alive, adopted, elected, and immeasurably more. All of Christ's saving benefits come to us by virtue of our being united with him. To be in Christ is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. It's no wonder then that Paul opens this letter by addressing it to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. They they may still live in Philippi, and I guess perhaps he needs Philippi still at the, the head of the letter to make sure it gets to the right place. But what really defines their identity now is they're in Christ Jesus. And there is no greater treasure than to be united to Jesus. In fact, back in chapter 3, Paul talks about all else being as rubbish compared to gaining Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And so it's through his union with Christ knowing that he is in Christ, that Paul has discovered the secret of contentment. Favorable circumstances may come and go, and certainly for Paul, they have gone right now, but Paul always has the one thing he needs to be content in all situations. He has Jesus. And so too do we, if we're Christians here this morning. We have Christ the pearl of greatest price, a a heavenly treasure worth more than every earthly treasure. He is ours and we are his and we have everything we need for contentment in him because the person who possesses Christ possesses all things, all good things in him. As it says in Ephesians 1 verse 3, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing is ours in him. Think again then about the circumstances and the situations that often tempt us to be discontent. Discontentment grows in the soil of believing that we don't have something we need or feeling like like our life won't be complete until we get it. But what Paul has come to learn is that no matter his circumstances or situation, he always has everything he could ever possibly need in Jesus. And so too do you and I if we are in Christ. As Christians, we have everything we'll ever need in him. He is all that we need to make our lives truly complete. So here's the question, why don't we always feel content? Why is my heart still so preoccupied with discontentment? If we have Christ and everything we'll ever truly need is already ours in him, why are we still discontent? Well, for one thing, we easily forget that we have him. We forget that Christ is ours and we are his And we also forget what is ours in Christ, what is ours through union with him. We forget that in him we have every spiritual blessing we could ever ask for, and that in his very person we have one who is, here's just a few ways the Bible describes him, the fountain of all goodness, the bread of life, the good shepherd of our souls, a generous king, a great high priest, the resurrection and the life, the giver of living water, and so, so much more. We just don't necessarily take the time to think about him and our union with him. He's so often squeezed out of our thoughts by thoughts of our difficulties and dreams of greater prosperity. But as Nathan drew our attention to last Sunday, so helpfully actually here earlier on in Philippians 4, our experience of the peace of God And contentment with that depends so much on what we think about, on who we think about. And Paul's mind was continually occupied with thoughts about Christ and thoughts about the innumerable blessings that were his in Christ. And he goes to great effort throughout this letter to remind the Philippians of these things too. He wants them and us to think upon such things often to not be preoccupied or overly concerned by our circumstances, but to instead be a people who are preoccupied with Christ and all that has been given to us in him. And so that's one reason, the first reason, why we might lack contentment and why our lives and maybe even our bank balances might be marked by signs of continual discontentment. We just don't think often enough or deeply enough about Christ and the riches that are ours in him. But that's not the only reason. The second reason we might lack Paul's contentment is we sometimes just settle for knowing about Christ rather than pressing in to truly know him for ourselves. Christian contentment we've seen begins to flow from remembering our union with Christ, but it continues to grow, secondly, by our pursuing communion with Christ. That's our second 
heading this morning, pursuing communion with Christ. And I'm using that word communion here uh, not to refer to the Lord's Supper particularly like we sometimes do, but in the more general sense of just a close personal relationship with someone. And I think, I think I only really noticed how prominent a theme this was in Philippians really recently uh, through doing the Discipleship Explored course, actually, because Paul repeatedly describes his joy and his delight, not just in knowing about Christ, but in actually personally knowing Christ. It wasn't simply enough for Paul to know about Christ or even to know about all the blessings that were his in Christ. He wanted to know Christ. The fullness of his contentment was found in his passion to know Christ himself, to know him intimately and personally. That was Paul's utmost desire, which is why he says in chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am hard pressed between the two. He says, I don't know if I would rather live or die. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. His ultimate desire is to be with Christ, to be where Christ is, because that is better by far. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Paul's ultimate desire, his burning ambition is to know Christ and to know him better and better. And I think one big reason I'm convinced actually one big reason I lack contentment is that I can just settle for knowing about Christ. Even growing in what I know about him. I love to read a good book about him, but not actually knowing and communing with him. It's really easy, isn't it? It's very possible to do daily Bible readings, to be at church, to listen to sermons, to be at home group, even to share the message of Jesus with people that don't know him and yet spend very little time actually knowing and communing with Jesus himself. I don't know about you, but I just find this so much harder to do. And one reason I think it's so hard is it, is it requires me to do the harder work of heart work. It requires us to open our hearts to Christ to be honest with him, to confess our sin and to recognize our weakness and admit our dependence on him, to express our love and gratitude to him. It just doesn't fit so easily into our busy schedules, even if we do find time to just quickly plow through our Bible reading plan. Communion with Christ doesn't fit so easily into our busy, multitasking, super-distracted lifestyles. But what a loss it is to us. What a comfort I lose and you lose. What joy we lose. What help and strength we lose by not actually seeking to know him and to grow in knowing him. To draw near to him and just talk to him. And pray that we might be satisfied in his presence. That we might see his face and hear his voice and gaze upon his glory. It's so easy to lose sight of this. 
And in fact, I, I think, you can see if you agree with me or not, but, but I think perhaps it gets even easier to live at a distance from Jesus the longer we've been a Christian. Because we become more competent and more resilient and more steady on our feet as Christians, or at least we think we are. We're not so conscious of our need for him as perhaps we once were. We think we can survive longer without real communion with Christ. We even get more involved in Christian service, more busy serving at home and in the church. And our very service of Christ can sometimes squeeze out our communion with him. But do you remember Mary and Martha? One serving hard in the kitchen, the other sat listening quietly at Jesus' feet. Both doing good things, but which of them did did Jesus say to had chosen the better portion? Well, likewise, it's clear here too in Philippians that at least a good portion of Paul's contentment is found in actually knowing Christ. In enjoying and pursuing communion with him and seeking to grow in knowing him. And yet, please don't be discouraged this morning. If, like me, you presently fall far short of Paul's example. Because even Paul had to learn contentment. He mentions it twice, in fact, in verses 11 and 12. Contentment in Christ didn't just get zapped magically into Paul's heart, and it will not just get zapped magically into our hearts either. It is something that God intends for us to learn and grow in over time. No matter where we feel we're on the contentment in Christ scale this morning, by God's grace we can learn. We can grow in contentment just like Paul by determining to think more upon our union with Christ and by pursuing simple, heartfelt communion with him. And thirdly and finally, by trusting Christ's promise to strengthen us. Thirdly and finally, by trusting Christ's promise to strengthen us. I I so appreciate how Paul ends this verse, because we could so easily go away from here, from what we've heard so far, feeling like it really all rests on us now to develop and deepen our contentment. And there are so many other religions and philosophies and practices that would advocate just that very kind of thing. That the strength to endure and cope and be content come what may comes from within you, from your own self-sufficiency and your own stoic resolve. And it's very easy for us to just Christianize a few man-made, those, those man-made ideas. We can essentially believe the same thing but just sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on it and so we tell ourselves I just need now to build my own storehouse of contentment I need to become a stronger better Christian I must strive to think more about Christ I must discipline myself to spend more time with him I must train myself to find the strength to be content in him but here in the final words of verse 13 Paul tells us that the kind of strength we need to be truly content in Jesus is not something we can dredge up from within ourselves at all. It's not the product of our own spiritual efforts. The kind of strength we need for contentment in all things is only available to us, says Paul, 
through him who strengthens me. It is Christ who gives strength to his people. It is Christ who, in the words of this verse, promises us this morning to give us his divine strength that we might learn to be content in all things. And just just consider for a moment what this tells us about Christ's heart of compassion towards us. When he sees us in our weaknesses, as we face both trials and temptations, when he witnesses our unsettled and unsatisfied and even sinfully discontent hearts, he doesn't say things like, oh, come on now, buck up, work harder on your contentment, go memorize more Bible passages, get your heart into better shape. He doesn't say, stop your whinging and your whining about what you don't have. It's about time you made yourself into a better, stronger, more grateful Christian. That is not how Jesus addresses us ever. That is not his heart towards those he loves and towards those for whom he laid down his life. Instead, he says things like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me and let me give you my help and my strength. You see, we might be thinking to ourselves this morning, I could never be strong enough to be content in the midst of my present circumstances, in the midst of my current difficulties, with all the things I don't have but which my heart desperately wants, and all the things I do have which my heart desperately doesn't want. And doubly so, I know I could never be strong enough to find contentment in the face of even greater trials and tragedies that might await me just around the corner. But Jesus' promise is not, and has never been, I will make you strong enough. It is, I will give you my strength, my limitless, undefeatable, untirable, divine strength. It's just like when Paul prays for the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. There, Paul prays that God himself would strengthen his own people with his own glorious might in the strength that God provides in order that they might endure all things with patience and joy. And here in Philippians 4.13 this morning, that very same promise is being held out to you and me. Christ is promising us that very same strength, his strength, according to his own glorious might in every situation and circumstance to give us all peace and contentment with joy. And on his promise, we can rest and rely and trust. Through him, and with our attention fixed on him, we too can learn contentment in the midst of trials. We too can learn to joyfully swim against the tide of the insatiably discontent world around us. And our growing contentment, our growing contentment will surely also be like a light and a beacon of hope to others as well, to neighbours and colleagues and 
family members and friends who are right now trapped and enslaved in an endless cycle of discontentment and despair and always wanting more. Surely our growing contentment in Christ will lead some of them to ask us the question, what is the secret of your contentment? And our simple and honest answer will be, Jesus, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Would you like to hear more about him? Let's pray.